0: Hey everyone, this is Lori Jimenez, your host of the Relentless Minds podcast. I would like to take a moment to make an exciting announcement that after much thought and deliberation, I have decided to officially relaunch Relentless Minds podcast to continue to reflect the overall goal and focus of helping you to create a life you desire through the power of harnessing resilience. Today's episode will be the last episode in the current long interview version, and we will be transitioning RM into shorter episodes. These episodes will be launched, get this, weekly. Every week, you will have a new episode focused on helping you in your journey of creating the life you desire. I'll share more details on this next week, so please stay tuned. If you want to get in touch, please do so. Please connect with me. I would love to hear from you. And you can get in touch with me either through my own Instagram, which is at I am Laurie Jimenez, or you can do it via at Relentless Minds Media. So again, if you want to get in touch, if you want to stay updated, please stay tuned and connect. I would love to hear from you. Now to begin today's episode, I interview Lissa Ramzipal, an incredible woman who has literally dedicated her life to helping people in underserved communities and specifically people experiencing homelessness. Lisa's journey began when she herself was placed in the foster care system due to her parents experiencing homelessness and not having enough support to get back on their feet. One of the many things that inspires me about Lisa, however, is her commitment to understanding the hardships that people with housing instability endure in her efforts to find a solution and create change. The topic for Lisa's post-grad dissertation was... Risk and Resilience in Young Adults Who Have Experienced Homelessness. We discuss her findings in this interview as she was able to interview dozens of individuals and discover which factors led people to becoming homeless and the role that factors like trauma and a lack of support played in the lives of people. Lyssa also shares with us her own experience with homelessness and the struggle she faced as she worked to create a better future for herself and how it shaped her life. Without further ado, let's begin the conversation. Hi, Lissa. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. So, I'm looking forward to the content of our discussion today because it covers a really important topic, which is homelessness and the reality surrounding it. I know you have dedicated your life to helping people in underserved communities and people experiencing homelessness which is one of the reasons I wanted to have this open discussion with you so that the public could learn more about these important issues. So, Lissa, I know that currently you are working for Street Sense Media, which is an organization based in D.C. that aims to help those experiencing homelessness. And you do this through overseeing their case management program. What does your work in this capacity entail exactly? So I serve um, in a little bit of a dual
1: role right now. It's transitioning some. Um, I serve as our clinical director and our director of programs. In the clinical director aspect of that, I do oversee our case management program role. I also supervise the uh, director of vendor employment. Street Sense is a media organization that Produces and sells the only uh, street newspaper here in the District of Columbia. So it's contributed to and sold or vended by people who either are currently experiencing homelessness or have, or it's touched their life in some way that uh, this is something that they want to do. So that program is a no barrier to employment. If you want to contribute to the paper or sell the paper, you come in. I'm happy to say starting this year, we pay people for their work. So just like journalists, if you contribute a piece, you get paid for that. In addition, people are able to um, buy their papers from us. And then the vendor rate, we it's a $2 suggested donation. Um, people are allowed to include tips. They can be paid in cash, but also we've had an electronic uh, payment platform via an app for a long time. So I help oversee that program as well. In terms of the case management part of it, The program is a bit newer. Uh, Street Sense has been around for 17 or so years in terms of the newspaper and that key way of embodying our mission, which is empowering people with um, skills, tools, confidence, support that they need to succeed and move beyond um, their experience of homelessness um, and using the media to do that. But a few years ago, um, it's become increasingly apparent that there's, a lot more that goes into homelessness than um, just the economics. The economics are important. You are never going to be able to afford rent in Washington, D.C. if you don't have income. And there's all kinds of barriers to getting income that I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on. In the short term, if somebody wants to work and needs to work, they can come here. And we train and orient people and we help them uh, develop what they need to be successful vendors. We also offer workshops. There's one that I do myself here every week. It's called Workplace Workshops. It's a six-part series that we just sort of run consecutively on an ongoing basis that helps people have a safe space to bring concerns that they might not feel like they can talk about in other spaces. For example, you know, vendors coming in, bringing in the real challenges of trying to go back to paper sales during the time of COVID, Mm -hmm. how um is the foot traffic. How are they being treated by people? What kinds of things are happening out there? What are the challenges? How do we work through them? So we try to do all of that to support people being able to be successful in employment and move forward. But in addition, there are other folks as they come in and start becoming successful, they come in and ask, you know, Miss Lissa, how can I get a bank account? What do I do? Or I don't know anything about credit. I know it's bad. I'm afraid to look. Can you help me? I've had people come in wanting to reconnect to family as their life stabilizes. They want to explore if, if those relationships are still sound and um, reconnect in the ways that they can. So, in case management, we seek to support whatever it is people need to be fulfilled and focus. We all need social supports. We all um, seek family supports. We all seek creative outlets um,
0: to sort of nourish our own soul. Wow. You guys do a lot of work and that's absolutely incredible. And you said um, a couple of important things I really um, honed in on. You mentioned that there is more to homelessness than financial needs. So I wanted to kind of tap in on that when it comes to homelessness, you've dedicated your life. You've been, um, you've spent, you know decades really in this in this field so what factors cause people to fall into homelessness and what influences are there would you say at the community level systemic level even personal level
1: i'm glad that you raised those different levels because it really it really isn't just one thing that either creates or sustains homelessness there are certainly some individual factors that can predispose some people to the vulnerability of housing instability. Um, one thing that I've come across a number of times is, you know, support system. Um, I should also say, I just uh, finished up the research and I'm completing a dissertation on looking at risk and resilience factors for homelessness across lifespan. So I've looked at people in young adulthood who were homeless before 18. My intention was to talk to people who were homeless either with their family or on their own, every single person that I interviewed um, was homeless on their own before the age of 18, which added to the depth of the stories that I heard and really looking at the the themes that came out of my analysis. And then half of my sample experienced homelessness again after the age of 18, at least twice. And the other half of my sample never re-experienced it. And one of the reasons I undertook this study was being very curious, not just about validating what we think service providers, what we think of as risk factors and seeing if we ask people to tell our story if all of those still hold true. Homelessness changes over time too. But I also wanted to hear more, what do people feel like work? So for people who re-experienced homelessness during periods of stability, what worked? And for people who never re-experienced it, how did you do that? You were just a kid when you were 18 and became an adult. And so for me, I wanted, to really get some traction there so we can explore it further, both in a research-based way. um, But the purpose of any good research, I believe, is to help inform what service providers are doing and give us the numbers and the validation to go forward and
0: pursue what many of us anecdotally know from
1: working with our Mm -hmm. group.
0: So So what was that? What was it that you ended up discovering that worked for some people? What were the issues for the For the other group of of people that ended up experiencing homelessness again, what were your discoveries?
1: So there were a few things that were common across both samples, and these are things that absolutely hold true in the now 24 years of work that I've done. Family relationships at the time of transition to adulthood were super important. If there was even one family member or one intact relationship, whether it was a relationship that a service provider or family member might have approved of or not. if if people at 18, 20, somewhere in there, 16, between that 16 to 21 range, had one relationship that was stable and they felt they could get support from, even if that person may not have had the healthiest life themselves, if they were protective and maintained stability and had a good relationship, that seemed to be the biggest resilience factor that I found that came out of both Periods of stability for people who re-experienced homelessness, but also the entire group that was not homeless again identified that as a factor. And many people at the time of the interview were still very close to that relationship. Other things were substance use disorders and families, uh, whether it was or as they were growing up, lots of complicated grief issues, both for themselves or a parent or family member. And then also a great deal of trauma or abuse. Um, one thing that trauma is a big buzzword these days. And it's true while it's true that we, we don't tell people whether or not they've experienced trauma, um, trauma, is something that is life altering, that causes someone to feel in fear of their own life or that of a care, uh, someone they take care of or a caregiver. Um, so you can witness it and it can be traumatic. You can experience it. Not everyone who experiences the same really severe life event will experience it as trauma. But what we do know about trauma is it affects the brain. Development stops every mm-hmm. single So if you're a child who's been traumatized and you're trying to grow and your nerve cells are trying to grow and your brain is trying to figure out how do I cope with things, every time that experience happens, it stops growing and then it picks up where it left off when it can. And so you often see a lot of delays in developing a sophistication around coping skills. We all have it to some degree, but there's a certain point it seems from these interviews and this research I did where it reaches a point where you're delayed enough in being able to cope with what you're being overwhelmed by that it stops you from being able to separate to here and now and then cope forward. It makes perfect sense if you're too scared that you're going to die every minute to even think about how do I keep myself alive? How do you even think about What am I going to be like when I'm 35? What Mm -hmm. what do I do when I grow up? How do you even do that? So, I encountered a lot of stories from people about how those themes affected them. The sample that ended up experiencing homelessness again in adulthood really identified a few key things one, not feeling safe anywhere. And that's not just places, but also with anyone. As a result, they had a harder time asking for help. Um, of anybody, whether it was a formal uh, service provider or support system or family and friends. There was limited educational achievement, often because of bouncing around and issues with trying to make your brain function academically, optimally when you're living with trauma. There were often some health issues that it's hard to tell where they came from. Did they come before trauma or adverse experiences happened or after, or did they come completely outside of trauma, just related to the economic space the family was in and, you know, availability uh, to healthcare as a resource. Mm -hmm. Many, what we call severe persistent mental illnesses like bipolar disorder, particularly schizophrenia, the age of onset is late adolescence, early adulthood, usually between 18 and 21 years of age. And so if you've already come from adverse Situations with limited support going into adulthood and you develop one of these sometimes debilitating disorders, many times debilitating disorders, it's really hard to be able to make that transition in a way that doesn't land you in homelessness again. Mm-hmm. I found that the, the reverse was true for the group that didn't re-experience homelessness, whereas they... Felt able to ask for help. They had relationships that made it easy for them to ask for help, or at least one. Sometimes it was a mentor or a surrogate parent. Sometimes it was one parent that maybe couldn't help take care of them, but was still there emotionally. Other folks had children by that age to care for, which really changed their motivation and pushing forward and the focus being on others. That was a surprising one. As service providers were taught that teen pregnancy is a high risk factor for homelessness, and I suspect it could be, but the people that I interviewed, it was the opposite because they had either a current pregnancy or had a child or more than one child. They were just bent on their child having better than they had, and they did it. Um, And many were employed at the age of 18, which seemed to also help, which is why I believe so much in what Sense does. Mm -hmm. That employability, that having somewhere to belong, having that sense of doing something for yourself and being able to move forward regardless of what else is happening really is impactful and so that difference individual things systemically we've heard a lot of this in the news it's not you know when we think about criminal justice involvement we think about access to employment we think about things like institutionalized racism we think about ways that you know it there, there might have been a time when we all very happily, I think, believed that if you commit a crime, you get arrested and you go to jail, and that's a personal thing. Well, now we know it's not so simple. It's hard to know who did something. We're seeing issues with police, law enforcement, criminal justice, ICE, any agency where you might have done nothing wrong. We think about status offenses, like um, a lot of immigration types of things. What if what if you're a dreamer right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm you're concerned about your immigration status or your ability to safely walk down the street without your family being picked up and detained. It's hard to think about much else, much less stability. Um, It also, on a systemic level, there's racism is certainly one issue. And when we talk about racism in this country, many times we're talking about one or two minority groups, but the bigger issue, I think, in addition to that, not bigger than racism, but in addition, the other large issue closely related is xenophobia. Xenophobia is basically when people look at anybody who is non-white, non-black, and assumes that you could not have been born here. In my personal life, I've experienced it. Um, I get it all the time. It's kind of funny sometimes, but sometimes it's hurtful. And it's like being considered less of an American because I'm not black or white. Other people, depending on the political climate, sometimes getting a job, that makes it hard. So if you stack xenophobia, racism... Not having access to a lot of resources, maybe also not having a lot of good, strong adult role models, role models know what to do and how to navigate going about getting into the adult world and navigating it well. You just have a lot of cards stacked against you, and this, our systems of care are very reactionary. They don't look at okay, how can we support families better so everyone has what they need? How do we prevent families from ever being homeless? How who have been homeless as an individual and keep it, not just get them somewhere now, but keep it from happening again. Instead, we react like, oh, this family's done something wrong. Let's, you know, let's respond. Let's see what we can do now. But these are temporary short-term solutions. We don't know what happens to kids in foster care 10 years later. We don't even track them two years after they leave. We don't know what about all the families that never engage in service providers, but have a lot of embedded issues that they have struggled and struggled with maybe for years, maybe for generations, and could use a little support um, in helping their kids transition successfully to adulthood. And for individuals, there are so many people that have held on. And recently, people who came in during the pandemic, uh, the, the biggest part of it, the stick-at-home orders, many of them were people that were... Struggling already, and then they lost jobs. And they knew that even though evictions were halted, they knew that they didn't have money to ever clear the arrears in their rent and were coming in because they heard we would help, they heard we were open, they heard we had case management, and were just coming to me and telling me these stories that were just so filled with so much resilience and so many efforts to keep their family or themselves safe and together and off of the street. And it just
0: felt like it was falling apart. And I wanted to actually say when with that point um, and everything else that you've been talking about, all of the other influences when it comes to, or the factors that are at play when it comes to someone who falls into homelessness, there's so much there that people don't realize, people don't understand uh, because of there's this notion, there's this accepted perceived notion that people are homeless because they're lazy, because there is substance abuse, but that that is applied to every single person seen on the street when in reality, that is not the case. And I think it's super important that you're bringing these things to light because it then starts to change the perception and the mindset of people when it comes to actually then taking action, right? Because personally, I've, I believe that if people f- feel that people who are homeless are because of their own life decisions that were, Bad, poor, you know, decisions. It was their fault that there's not going to be a sense of moral obligation, in the part of the larger society to actually get involved and you know change policy, to create organizations, to do more of an effort to help people that are experiencing homelessness or poverty. So I I want to thank you for bringing that up, and I also wanted to ask you um, a very important question because you're very passionate about what you do, and it's very important to you and. I can see that I mean, with years and years and years of research and information and um, just involvement, I wanted to ask you, and it came because we did actually speak about this in our conversation before the interview, but you personally have been inf- affected uh, and impacted personally by homelessness. What was that experience like for you, and how had that inspired you to get involved? and actually, if you could even speak about I'm really interested in seeing you were it seems like when it came to risk and resilience and you uh, of homelessness and youth, that you were able to then come, come forward, move forward and create a life for yourself. So when it comes to your personal life, your experience with homelessness, how did that come about? How was that for you? And how did you get ahead? So
1: one of the ways that I was impacted, actually started before I was born. My family came to this country in the late 60s, early 70s. It was my parents, my older sister, who was a year old at the time. They were homeless when they came here. And even though I wasn't born for many years, that experience and having to be homeless with a baby in 1970 in Washington, D.C., this was right after the riots, after Martin Luther King was assassinated. They were from another country. They were 20 years old with a baby. I cannot even imagine, having heard the story from clients over and over, I cannot imagine what my parents felt like and the strength it took for them to be able to sort that out. But I also know that there were bits of that that stayed with my family, that they never were able to, as a result, there were a lot of social problems. So growing up uh, was really challenging in my home. And as a result, I was placed in foster care when I was a teenager. I bounced around like a lot of foster kids do. And I aged out of the system. There were some things that made me very lucky. I came from a culture where girls were taught to be quiet and polite and helpful and sweet. It ended up working really well because when you're moving from place to place, people think that you're sweet and the well-behaved one. It They want to help you. So I learned how to... Be what people wanted. And it also opened doors for me that if I the angry, rebellious teenager, it might not have. The unfortunate thing is there's a reason kids are rebellious. We, we learn things at each stage. And so, you know, I struggled with my own issues, with my own sense of self, my own sense of confidence, which, you know, some very painful struggles that I carried well into my early adulthood. and Probably some that stay with me today. We're all who we are. But what was different for me in those years was people wanted to help me. I was generally well-liked. I got along well. And while I was never able to be reunited with my biological um, family, I found other ways of connecting to people and making family. And so the funny thing is my research, in a weird way, validated what my own life experience was. I had usually one person at a time, but I had mentors who... Sometimes back to the surrogate parents, sometimes just helped me learn stupid stuff. Like, how do you write a check correctly? Back when we wrote checks. Um, How do you, you know, I guess people don't do that anymore. How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you navigate relationships as a young woman? How do you learn to stand on your own, say yes and no? How do you negotiate for salary in, in your first job? All those strange things that you would learn at home. I didn't, and I needed to. I didn't learn them at home because my parents were bad or anything. They just... I wasn't old enough when I, you know, when I was in placed in care and because I bounced around in settings that were usually group settings, I didn't have the opportunity to learn how to live into another family. And so for me, it was a journey to get to where I could trust people and really reach out in a reliable way and feel safe knowing that I could reach out to a service provider and I could tell them what I was feeling or what I was experiencing and they would, they, one, that they wanted to help me, two, that they would help me and three, that they wouldn't look down at me or see me differently. And so for, for myself, as I grew into having a lot of bad experiences with it, I learned to trust anyway because I had some very good people who did help me in those years and since. And for me, it, it really instilled in me that sense of you never, ever, ever make somebody beg for something that they need and you never make people feel badly about their life circumstances. They didn't choose it and they can't help it. But the only way they'll get out of it is if those of us that are in positions of support, if it's a peer or power, if you're a service provider, there's always a power differential. Even when we try to equalize that we're, we're in the chair we're in with a home to go home to tonight. I'm, I'm keenly aware that folks coming to me don't always have that and try to minimize you know, have the sort of power over dynamic. But I also understand that the power I have and I achieve my career has grown. It gives me a chance to give voice to people who don't, haven't found their voice yet. And that's extremely important to me because that is something that I lacked when I was going through the struggles I went through. It's what my parents lacked when they were going through the period of being homeless as a family with a young child. And so for me, My first job doing this, I was was 17. I was hardly old enough to know what to do, but I ended up working with children who either had been or were about to be um, orphaned by AIDS. This was still during that that health crisis. And before people knew very much about how HIV does and doesn't spread. And so people were losing homes and families and many things. And it hurt my heart to see a little two-year-old with a runny nose that nobody would pick up and hug because they were scared they would catch it. And I could go pick that child up and hug them because I knew better. And I could play with them and I couldn't give them their mom or dad back and I couldn't give them their life back or promise their future, but I could do that. And once I learned that I had something to contribute, it just felt like what I was supposed to do. And when I came to Street Sense, I was working as a consultant with a number of organizations after having built my career up to being an executive director and doing other kinds of things. I also teach uh, as an adjunct faculty member at American University and what I teach my students and what we embody here with our staff is if you're truly curious about someone's situation, you ask questions. It's a weird thing. It's kind of like trying to laugh and frown at the same time. You can't do it. So if you're truly curious, you can't judge at that moment because you're sort of like, well, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And it's really a powerful thing. And so I teach about it, hoping that the next generation will learn to do it as automatically as breathing. But what I what made me leave my career in consulting and decide to be here at Street Sense and, and grow what we do and build these programs out further and find even better and better ways for us to do them is because I don't have to teach people here that that's what we do. It's what we all do. And it's wonderful to be in an environment that that's just our culture. It's our work culture with each other. It's our culture of how we Every interaction with vendor, with a case management client, with somebody we meet on the street, with somebody asking, "Oh, I've never heard about Street Sense. What what do you all do? Who are you?" It feels like pulling together many parts of my life and being able to not just be my true self with all of what brought me to the difficult experiences of my teens and early twenties, but also what made me commit to this field and not just commit to doing the work, but committing to doing it a certain way that hopefully gives people their power back, Mm -hmm. and freedom of choice. Um, I will follow where you want to go on this journey in hopes that it will take us to stability. I know a few things about that, but but I want to hear what you want. Mm -hmm. And having the latitude to build out a department that wraps first around what most people ask me over the years, which is, please help me get a job, and I I will take care of the rest. Homelessness does often have people struggling with things like health issues, Mm -hmm. mental illness, Even when people have come into homelessness without those things, living in and out of congregate settings, having to get up early, be up late, sometimes staying outside, sometimes just not having that stability of knowing where you're going to get your next meal or sleep, trying to function optimally when you're tired or hungry or anxious or afraid and having nowhere to take it, it will affect both your physical and mental health. If you didn't have problems coming out here, you're going to have them now. Um, It's why... We want to see the day when homelessness is a brief, temporary situation that we can wrap services around remedying quickly. Mm-hmm. also, can we prevent this? We know the factors um, all too well that lead there. It's not just about we do need more affordable housing and by affordable, I mean not numbers on paper. What does it really cost to live in d c realistically? You know what are we using to measure income by how How is this all working? We do need more permanent supportive housing for those who need that. We need more uh, supports around families and individuals who don't necessarily have natural support systems. Um, we can't give that back, but we can help them get on their feet. So all those things are factors. And so seeing opportunities for me to do that and work not just on the individual level or sort of DC as a whole, but, you know, I've worked on this here at the policy level Um you know, looking at laws, advocating for changes in budget. I've also worked on the international level on a variety of projects because the sad truth about homelessness is it's not just our problem, it's everyone's problem, just like mm-hmm. any public health issue, which I think is relatable right now. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about wearing a mask to help protect people around us from uh, getting COVID in case we've been exposed or have it. It's sort of the same thing. How can I help protect other people from dying a premature death on the street? And if I can do that, why wouldn't I do that? Mm-hmm.
0: So, Lissa, when it comes to reasons that people fall into homelessness, it's not just employment, but employment is important, and it's something I actually like want to talk to because I talk about because with Street Sense, they have a, no barrier right to entry. Really, you can be employed, and I know that there are more issues, especially with mental health trauma, is big. Family support is big, right? These are factors that that play a part in people losing hope um, and people really not having in their mind the the energy really or the focus on trying to get like trying to get ahead. They're just trying to survive. But for you know, people to understand when it comes to listening to this episode, when it comes to organizations out there, employers out there um, that want to get involved in in helping someone get off the street? What are ways that companies can offer up employment opportunities to those in need? Because you're looking at different struggles, right? That homeless people that are experiencing homelessness have. Um, they don't have an address. Uh, they don't have internet or a computer many times. So key, like having those things in mind, which are many times um, also barriers, um, what are ways that employers can start to make this change, this shift um, to, to provide more accessibility, more opportunity for those in low income periods in their life or um, homelessness?
1: So there's actually a few different ways. Probably a very easy way is if somebody is a business owner and they hear the show and they think, you know, we have opportunities that come up once in a while. I would love to fill this with somebody who is developing back into the workforce and needs a break, but I don't know how, I don't know how to approach people. A very easy way would be to reach out, to Street Sense, to another, you know, if there's another homeless services organization in their immediate neighborhood, but ask us, we know people who are looking for jobs and we know people who are at a space for, you know, like people come and talk to us, not just about selling the paper. They talk to us about their lives. They talk to us about what their life looked like before they were homeless. If somebody were to call me today and say, I need to hire somebody who's used to doing office cleaning work um, and they're okay walking at night, I know three people who that's what they used to do. When I've worked at other places, we we just, we know we're usually looking for those opportunities. And so that's a very easy way. Another way is, you know, some of our folks sleep near businesses. If you know that there are people in your neighborhood that are out there and maybe you walk by and, you know, start up a relationship, make the least we can all do is make eye contact and say, hello, we're all people. But beyond that, as you get to know someone and you start talking to them, maybe you're going to figure out that they have a skill that you need. I have actually had a few people who would get hired on at places for strange reasons. I had one gentleman who got hired on to sweep out a store. Um, This is a couple of years ago. He slept in front of it. He would get up and did such a nice job every single morning picking his things up. And sweeping the front to make sure he didn't leave any trash or anything, well, a couple of times the shopkeeper realized that's what he was doing. And one time came to work early and she asked if he would like to sweep inside, and she would, you know, pay him for that. And so initially it was just a informal arrangement just to sort of help. but she ended up hiring him. He still works there. Another time was someone who was sleeping in an in a area near a construction site, and the foreman uh, one time woke him up and said, hey, you know, some of my workers aren't going to come in because it's snowing. If you if you come on and uh, get yourself together and, you know, come see me at seven o'clock, I'll give you a trial. And so he did and he got hired. The other way is simply staring down discrimination. I've had so many people come to me discouraged because they weren't as clean shaven as they wished that they were for an interview. They didn't have a suit to go in with. Their hair was a little longer. And They came in to apply for a job and somebody is looking them in the face with a help wanted sign in the window saying, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have anything open. Mm. And for business owners who really want to help, challenge yourself there. Somebody's appearance doesn't mean that they're not a good worker. And it may be that they're living with or struggling with something. But the flip side to that is if you're in a position, donate. If you're not ready to hire someone or you can't do it, you know, they're We're here every single day. We stayed open during the stay-at-home orders so that we could help folks um, get uh, donations from their regular customers on our app, that we could continue to produce and circulate our newspaper online at that time, and that we could continue case management and outreach because we knew people needed more during that time. So find an organization. Find us. Find whoever you're comfortable with, but there are ways to contribute and financially make sure that we can keep our doors open and we can do the best work possible. Um, what I've learned throughout my career is many people live with addiction or mental illness or life stressors or lack of you know, social supports and they never end up homeless. So it's a fallacy to look at anyone and believe that that is the end all be all of who they are and why they're homeless. If somebody was diabetic, we wouldn't say, oh my gosh, that's a terrible chronic illness. You're going to end up with no feet we Mm -hmm. would think, gosh, that's not nice. And that's not what happens to everybody. My favorite call, it happens at least once a month. Well, there's this homeless person in my neighborhood and I've talked to them about going to a shelter or going to this place. And they said they they don't want to. So does that mean that they they would rather be homeless? And what I have to explain is, even with systems that work well, um, and I think ours, it it works in places, but it has a lot of space to grow, um, to do better for people. It's not that people are saying, I want to sleep on this bench and I want to die on the street early. Nobody's saying that. What they might be saying is, I've had so much trauma and had so many doors slammed in my face after I trusted over and over again. Or I know you're going to attach strings to things that make me feel like less of a human being. That's what they're saying no thank you to. If you think about it another way, I have worked to a space in my life. I live in a house. um, I enjoy my yard i enjoy coming home and making breakfast at three o'clock in the morning if that's what i want Um, there was a time in my life that's not what i could do and so one of my favorite questions to ask vendors when they do get housing is what's the first thing you're going to do like what's that thing you've been waiting to, to have your own space i love hearing the answers because it's something i can relate to but for me if somebody were to walk into my house on any given day they might think oh my gosh does she clean well i do but i have four cats And I'm gone for many hours a day while I'm at work. And if I leave a laundry basket in the middle of the floor, some cat's going to get in it, carry things around the house and roll on it. So there's clothes everywhere and cat hair. (laughs) Yet when somebody gets a voucher every month, they're subject to an inspection. And a social worker like myself or someone else can come in and say, you need to clean your apartment up. That doesn't look good or that's not healthy or that's unsafe based on a very subjective standard, which is our own norms. It feels dehumanizing to people who were grown up, who may have raised children, who may have been on their own so long that they raised themselves. Somebody might choose to purchase, you know, I don't know, spend more money on a purchase that we might think, well, that's that's a luxury, that's a comfort thing. Well, yes, it is. I also might have five dollars in cash in my person go to Haagen-Dazs and no one's gonna judge me. It's when we think about it that way, it's ways of really reflecting on not just our own prejudices and why and how we judge each other, but also how were we taught to do that and what are our laws and our policies as a society and our norms around why one person gets judged for the very same behavior more harshly than somebody who maybe lives in the house and has nice clothes and has Mm -hmm. multiple college degrees. And so I think in challenging those notions, both as business owners and also as individuals That might be the best way we can actually help because when we start seeing people as people and problems as just that, problems, then people are not their circumstances and what we do and who we are are two different things. We all are here. Who we are is just fine. Hmm. What we do, well, we all have things that we wish we hadn't done or we all make mistakes, but everybody needs a chance to grow forward and get past them and build a life that's worth living to them.
0: Absolutely. Now, you have an incredible story. You are an incredible advocate. Um, your level of insight and knowledge, and really involvement in the in, in helping those that are underserved, is inspirational. It truly is inspirational. And I hope, and you know, and also want to ask you when it comes to sharing your story more, and using that as you know, your form of not only inspiring people who need to hear your story, but also being a voice for them, right? Is this something that attracts you? Is this something that you would like to continue more of? Because I really feel with everything that you have done, that it would be very impactful. One of the things that's changed
1: for me in the last probably year has been understanding that so many people have a single story of the experience of homelessness and trauma. And it's not fair to the people who experience it because we're not the things that happen to us. They affect who we are. They affect us. They affect our coping and our abilities at different times. But for me, I don't see those things as a liability. They are why I'm where I am in my life and, and who I am. And I look into the eyes of every single person that I meet working or on outreach or going to my own grocery store and seeing people who are outside. We all have potential and we all have the ability to take the hand of the cards that we were dealt and turn it into something beautiful. And a lot of that's about opportunity. And if telling some part of my story helps, helps encourage people who are struggling that keep keep doing it, you're doing it. You're there, you're, you're, you're doing exactly what it takes to, to move through this. You're getting up every day and you're doing the best that you can. And that's all anybody can ask. But also for people that have that sort of single story of what it's like to experience hardship or just sort of think about childhood trauma as, well, you're an adult now, or well, just put it in the past. It's in the past. They can never understand the impact that developmental trauma has. On the sense of self and how you develop into your adult relationships and the level of fears that can still crop up years and years and years and decades later. And I know that from my own experience. I know that from the stories that I've gotten through research. And I know that from what my clients tell me every single day. And what I would say to people who want to be helpful and want to challenge themselves to think differently about all this is think of it this way I was the youngest child. Um, born to an immigrant family who was homeless when they came to this country before I was born. They did a very nice job, I think, of trying to achieve some level of stability economically. They, you know, we, we were, you know, my parents, I know, live paycheck to paycheck, but they worked, there was food, there were struggles, there were challenges, there were, you know, addictions, there, were, there, was, there, there was a lot that went on in that house. Going through all those things, It helped me understand who and how I wanted to be as a human. And as a professional, it's also taught me what kinds of things to ask in order to make sure people are comfortable. And when I make people comfortable, they learn to trust me because it shows an amount of care that's different than just filling out a form that I need them to answer questions for or doing an intake or checking on basic needs. There's nothing wrong with doing any of those things, but I think being able to offer insight and compassion in a different way helps. And I know that for the folks around me who do know a bit of my story, they've shared with me that it's changed them and the way they do things. I think we need to start seeing homelessness for what it is. It's an economic problem with complicating social factors that laws need to change to allow Organizations um, for both families and individuals, and uh, of any age, to access support, so that this doesn't become a prolonged problem, which we know creates more social and more health problems for for them as they are homeless longer. We need to hold politicians accountable for for funding laws that change, for allowing us to do the good work that we do, and continue. We need to allow more and more opportunities on the social level and. The sort of more meso systems in the local community businesses, um, other social institutions um, to really be accountable to ourselves and to each other, to create a different way of thinking about community, not seeing people who are experiencing homelessness as any of the hurtful things I've heard. I've heard people called an eyesore. Well, that's a human being. I've heard people yeah. you know, stuff called trash, um, Seeing encampment cleanups happen in D.C., literally watching somebody's home, their tent, all that they had, all that they cared about, their artwork, their pictures, picked up and put in the back of a trash truck while police guard the area. It makes me sick to think about. I've I've watched it. I've held people's hand while it's happened, not being able to do anything to stop it. I've had people say to me, "Lissa, when you get it from the street, what does that mean? It's like the whole world doesn't want you. No human being should ever have to feel that way. And it resonates so deeply with me feeling unwanted. I bounced around foster care. I know what it feels like to not feel wanted. I know what it feels like to pack your things up in a trash bag and have to put the next place with little notice what's happening with my clients in ways that are needless. There is no reason to harm someone because of their life circumstances. There's no reason. and it serves no purpose to make someone feel badly about who they are especially when every human being is uniquely talented and uniquely gifted and has value. And mm-hmm. I think we start treating people that way. We start thinking of the solutions for ourselves and starting to understand where we are. And so for that reason, you've convinced me, I think, like, I, I don't know what the path forward would be in getting my story out there more and trying to pursue that. But I, in the last few days, I'm thinking about this more, I have committed to wanting to do it and it it takes more courage than I thought I had but I think about the courage of my clients every single day the people who have every reason to not trust one more caseworker or one more social worker or whatever and they do they come in we even even if we disagree even if they get angry with me they come back and they say I'm sorry I yelled at you I wasn't upset with you I was afraid of what you were asking me to do. I didn't think you were hearing this. I can say, I'm sorry too. I didn't I didn't mean to not hear what you were saying. I'm just afraid for you. I want more for you and I know you want it too, but it's not my life, it's yours. And letting them tell me where we're going next to help them achieve stability. That takes so much more courage than me having to go to Ante up and talk about a little bit that I've been through and how it shaped where I've gone and
0: how I do the work. Um, There's just no comparison, so. I think you should do it, Lisa. (laughs) You're an incredible woman. And honestly, thank you so much for your words today, for your insight, for your love, your passion, everything that you've expressed. Um, It was absolutely incredible. And um, with that said, were there any final words that you would like to say to um, wrap up our interview today?
1: I mean, one, I just wanted to thank thank you um, so much for one, your encouragement and even getting to that piece of challenging me to think about there's a story to tell. There's power in owning my own story for myself. But the reason I came to this work and the reason I think I've had success at it is because of what I've been through and because, point, it's what's always pushed me to be better and to do better. I was fine doing the work, but I went to graduate school because I was afraid that my own issues might get in the way or hang someone else up. And I wanted to learn enough to know for sure that I would know what to do and know how to not do that. I went on for a doctorate because when I started learning that I could help design programs and help them, you know, evaluate themselves and, and create, you know, theories and policy and things that can really change the way we do the work, it more important than my fears that I wouldn't be able to do it or that it was hard or how do you pull down a full-time job and a half and do a doctoral program and you know all those things and, and so I really appreciate challenging me on that. I appreciate the opportunity um, to, to talk about these things but being able to really talk about people as people means the world to me. And so thank you very much for that. And I hope that people who tune in will come away with a different place in their heart of looking at um, our neighbors, because
0: we're all neighbors, really. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And i have to thank you for what you brought for us today, because um, you really did this issue justice with all of the amazing information that you that you told us about and even your own story, everything is so important for people to really understand the reality surrounding homelessness, you know? So thank you again so much. And I really wish you the best of luck as you continue in this journey to impact as many lives as, as you have been impacting and even more. Hey, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, You can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.